All right. Thanks, you guys. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. It's uh, always great to, to pray for the persecuted church and around the world to be cognizant of that. That's happening now uh, all over, so we need to be, be cognizant of that. Um, turn with me to the book of Ruth, if you would. If you have a Bible, if you take that out and turn to the book of Ruth, we'll be getting started with our series uh, there today. Ruth chapter 1. We, uh, we honestly really began this series uh, a few weeks ago. I kind of snuck, snuck a sermon in there. And uh, the, Ruth, the, this Moabite woman who's uh, mentioned here, who the, na- the book is named after her, um, is, is present one other, one other place in Scripture, and that place is in the Gospel of Matthew, in the lineage of Jesus. So a few weeks ago, we, we took a look at just the glimpses of God's grace and loving kindness through the lineage of Jesus, as seen in that lineage. And and listen, if you didn't get a chance to hear that message or, or you kind of dozed off or something, go back and check it out. Um, it, it, just, it is riddled with God's grace. Uh, it, it's just this image of, of, and this beauty of God's grace that, that extends, God's grace extends through and to unexpecting people in order to overcome the fall of man and the curse of sin. Now, that's not to say that you and I as people can overcome the fall of man and the curse of sin on our own, but God and His grace is extending that grace to us and through us so that his glory would go, go everywhere and conquer the, the, sin, the, the curse of sin and, and the fall of man. So we saw that a few weeks ago, these glimpses of grace, and I really, I really need you to hold on to that for a minute because we're going we're to talk about that a little bit today as well. And, uh, but but i got to be honest, today, today is a tough one for me. And, uh, and it's not tough because I'm, I'm tired or I'm sick and those excuses everyone might have. You know, it's, it's not tough because... It's tough because it's the Word of God. It's tough because when we, when we go to the Word of God and we study the Word of God, it ought to expose our heart. Amen? And, and we need to look at that today. And as we, as we do look at that, I, I, I plead with you to hold on to these glimpses of grace that God's loving kindness is shining through, constantly trying to draw us into a closer, repentive relationship with Him. That's what He desires. But as we start the book of Ruth, we're going to dive in and we're going to take a look at God's relationship to his people. And that, that looks amazing at times. But then we're going to take a look at God's people's relationship to God. And listen, if you're anything like me, that doesn't always look pretty. If I'm going to analyze my own relationship to God and just expose it all out there, that's not always the best. So we're going to look at that today. And there's going to be some tension with that. But my hope is this, that we're going to see his loving plan of redemption take place. And that's that's the whole crux and the whole story of Ruth is just this loving kindness of God, this redemption of God that he offers there. So it's going, to be, it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful series that we get to dive into. But my hope today is that we somehow, that we'll not, not only be aware of this tension that exists maybe in our relationship with God, but we'll also that we'll, we'll desire to deeply, deeply be aware of his loving compassion and that we will respond to that compassion with loving obedience. Amen? All right, so we're going to start in Ruth 1. Let's pray, and we'll get to work, okay? Father, we, we're here today to, to honor you. This is all about you, Jesus. And I know sometimes we come for the wrong reason. We come for us. And I, and I know I expect you to fill us up. I expect you to, to do something in our heart. But God, we come for you. We come saying that you're, you're the king, and we're not. We say that we want you to rule, and, and we don't want to. We want you to be the Savior, because we aren't. So we offer you our praise, and we give you our gifts, and we give you our time and talents, and we give you our attention now, the attention of our hearts. And God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your word. That you would dig into the core and and shake us if we need to be shaken to analyze our own obedience, our own relationship to you. And God, we would see your redemption taking place or beginning to take place over the areas that we've been far from you. Guide us today. Challenge us and change us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So turn with your, at the book of Ruth. Hopefully I'm not there. I'm going to turn to that book. There it is. These little ribbons in Bibles are pretty amazing. Also, the doodle, doodle sheets in the few rack are pretty amazing for that, for bookmarks. <clears throat> My daughter's had a unicorn on it a little while ago. Pretty cool. Uh, okay, so we're in Ruth chapter 1, and, and we're gonna, today we're going to kind of set the table of, about Ruth and kind of get us a glimmer of, of what God's dealing with and what we're going to have to deal with, all right? So beginning in Ruth chapter 1, we're going to read 1 through 6, and then we'll digest that. 
During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the other, or second, was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about ten years, both Malon and Kilion died also. And Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. Okay, we're going to stop there. And I would encourage you as you go home to just read Ruth with your family. Read Ruth. Continue to read the whole story of Ruth. Uh, next week, we're going, to, we're going to cover the whole book as an, as like an, uh, an introduction, uh, and then we'll break it down the weeks after that. But I would encourage you to be reading Ruth. Okay? So what we're going to do, we're going to look at this uh, today, this first phrase that we see in Ruth 1.1. It said, during the time of the judges, or, or in, in the time when the judges ruled. So it's setting the stage and setting the, the time period we know uh, scripturally. And we see that time period is in the book before Ruth. It's judges. Now, I, I want to be honest with you and a little vulnerable. Um, th- preparing for this sermon in particular, not actually the next ones, but this sermon in particular has really kind of wrecked my heart a little bit and, and hurt my heart. And, and not in a way that God's not working and healing and doing something, but, but I, I want to be vulnerable because as I looked at this study, we have, we have to understand what this means to say during the time of the judges. And that phrase, if you just pick up the book as literature and you, you read it or someone reads it to you and you hear it, oh, what a nice story. There's a, this is a time when judges ruled. Okay, I'll, I'll make my, my, my mind believe whatever that is. And then there's this guy that lives in Bethlehem. It got really bad there, so he decided to take his family and leave. Sounds smart. Right? There's some things that, that we aren't seeing here yet, though. In the time when the judges ruled, during the time of the judges, this was a deplorable time in Israel's history. So, so that God had led them out of Egypt, right? He, he led his people out of Egypt and, and through the wilderness, and, and they disobeyed him at times, and they rejected him, and they turned to other idols, and he, and he eventually made them wander for 40 years. And then he, he in, ushered them into the land of Canaan, into the promised land, and he gave them strict orders to do, of what to do there. But they didn't even obey him there. They didn't, they didn't kick out everybody. They didn't, they, everyone that was there were were worshiping false gods and, and had idols, and it was, they were distracted with whatever they wanted to be distracted with. They did whatever they wanted, and not all of them got pushed out. So now Israel is living in the land of Canaan, and they're living amongst a people that has no care or regard for Yahweh, God, I am, the great I am, right? The God that's above every other God. The God that brought them out of Egypt and into the land of Canaan. The God that created the whole entire world. They don't have regard for Him. So now they're living amongst people who don't care about their God. And listen, when we, we have that now too. We live in, in the world. We live amongst people who don't care about God. But God wanted a people for himself. You can think of God, and there's tons of theology behind this, and this is deep doctrinal stuff. But there, God's a jealous God. He's jealous for us. That he wants us to be a people for himself so that his glory would be seen in his people and seen to the world all around. Israel and Jerusalem in particular was supposed to be a city situated on a hill. That Israel would, would say, this is my God, he is my king, this is how we do things as his people, because that's what he's asked us to do. And in doing that, it's good for us, and it's going to be good for the world, because they're going to see God's light and God's glory through us as a city on a hill. And they're going to come to know and realize God is really God. But they didn't live that way, because they didn't even start in obeying God. And what ran, there was this tension that was created, because so, God, God brought his people there, and they didn't quite obey him fully in taking the land and in making this a nation that would be his people. So that's kind of where I want to pick up today. But, but what grieves me is this. Judges, at the, at the very end of Judges and in the middle of different places in Judges, it's described as this. It was a time when there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Sounds good, right? Oh yeah, we should just do what's right. In our, we don't need a king, let's just do what's right in our own eyes. Really? Would you like to live your life like that with your choices? Do you, with the things that you think or have thought were right in your own eyes, do you think you would, be, you would turn out better than you are now or worse? 
And, and I, so the hard part is this. Uh, I had to study judges to understand what it was like to be in the time when the judges ruled. And it's been several years since I've really gone through in depth. But, but as I got to the end, see, at, at the beginning of Judges, here's the cycle that was created. God's people would go into the land. They were there. Oh, we're God's people. Thank you for providing for us. We remember you. We love you. We worship you. And then they'd get distracted. Why? Because there were other idols around. There were other people that were influencing them. There were other ways that looked tempting in life. And they would kind of they get, and that's how we are. We get comfortable. God, you're God. You're amazing. Let's go on about our life. And it's amazing. But then we kind of get distracted, don't we? And those distractions turn into temptations and lure us out of, out of God's will, out of what's right in his eyes, and we start doing what's right in our eyes. And we start to the, the spiral, this decaying descent down into sin. And sin, and, and what God did, what God showed in Judges is, is judgment, discipline. He's like, listen, you're my people, you're my children, and you're, you're going astray. You're doing what I don't want you to do. I've created boundaries. I've created rules. I've created things that would show you that you are my people. And you're not doing that. So there was judgment, either divine judgment was on them, that God actually caused something to happen that they made them think, or just the natural consequences of being absent-minded, of making poor decisions. There are consequences to doing whatever you want. And when those consequences hit, and they hit with force, here's what Israel will do. And think about, think about children, right? My children, I always talk about my children, because they're this big, right? And it really... It's really raw with them, really real with them. We, we tend to be like children, but we hide it with adulthood, right? <laughs> but think about how children are. When things are going great, we don't necessarily need to bow to our God. We don't necessarily need to, to come humbly to Him and ask for anything. When do we need to ask? When things get hard. And see, God, God drove them to their knees. And what, what the children did, it's like the, the old game, Mercy, when you did the whole, like, bent people's finger back. They're like, Mercy, Mercy, I cry out for mercy, I can't take anymore. And God would then raise up a judge, a ruler, someone supposed to be righteous over Israel, to lead them and guide them back and maybe deliver them from their enemies. Because during this time, they're interspersed with these people that were supposed to be kicked out, but they weren't. And what happened? Well, God would allow them to be taken, taken captive. God would allow them to be bullied by other nations and to be defeated by other nations. God said, wake up, people. What are you doing? You're my promised people, and I promised you the land, but you're not willing to obey me there. So they would, they would be in the pits, and they'd cry out for mercy. Mercy, mercy, God, mercy, God. And God would deliver them through a judge, a righteous judge. And we start, we start with a righteous judge and judges. And, and that judge would, would bring them back on, in, on track, right? They'd get them back in line. This is God. That's right. This is God. We've got to worship him, obey him, follow him. This is who he wants us to be. Then it would start all over. And from, from the beginning of Judges, we find a fairly decent, righteous judge. But as you progress through Judges, this cycle gets more and more dark. And it gets deeper and deeper. Even to the fact, I mean, you, you think, I just read this story to my daughter a couple nights ago about Samson. He was not a good man. He was not a good person. Anything that he had promised to God, he broke those promises Right? Any, anything that he could lead God's people, he couldn't lead God's people. He eventually just brought judgment on God's enemy. But that's all. There was no shepherding and leading, let's, let's rise back up, let's be a people of God. It was, that's where it came. So from bringing his people out of, out of bondage and, and, and to repent and to rise up and be what God's, God wanted them to be, to the place of, of Samson just did what he wanted and, and everyone was intermixed and, and no one repented. We have this just debauched society. And then you get to chapters 17 through 21. And it's it, from, from number, chapter 1 through, the, through 16, it's in chronological order. Shows you what happened. But 17 through 21, it's, it's interesting. There's two names, two people named in, that, in those chapters. It's Moses' son and, or grandson and Aaron's grandson. And it's for timing to show you, show you who these people were attached to and what, what kind of time frame it was. So this last few chapters probably were somewhere in the middle of Judges happening. But, but you read it, and, and I, I usually tell you, go home and do your homework, don't I? Hey, go home and read this on your own. We're not going to read this today, but, but go home and read this on your own. i got to put a disclaimer here. Like, I was weeping as I read this. I wanted, I, I read this, and I literally felt like throwing up. It is not for the faint of heart, although it is God's word and we must know it, but I would not recommend reading this at bedtime tonight with your children. 
but I would recommend reading this. Because it puts a new light on the phrase. In Israel, there was no king in Israel, or there was no king in Israel. And the people did whatever was right in their own eyes. We are talking a debauched, debauched society. Not just those who are not Israelites, but the Israelites, God's people, choosing to do whatever they wanted to do. And, and the, the grief that I had was certainly over what I was seeing and reading, but it was more than that. I had a grief in my heart because their society and their culture and those stories perfectly parallel what's happening here in the world today. And it made me sick. It made me sick to think as I questioned my own heart, as I analyzed my own, my own motives, am I doing whatever's right in my own eyes? Are we doing whatever's right in our own eyes? Certainly I know the world's doing that. That's what the world does, right? So, and, and it disgusts me and it grieves me and it, it hurts and I, I want to love people towards the truth of Christ. But for you and I who are supposed to be God's people, I, I don't want to live in a way that says there is no king, so I'm king. And because there's no king and I'm the king, I'm going to do whatever is right in my eyes. I don't want to live that way. I want to live in a way that says, God, I want what you want. I want to be who you want me to be. I want us to be who you want us to be. So it's very tough as we look at this book and talk about this setting of Ruth and what was going on in the time when the judges ruled or during the time of the judges it was not a pretty time. Israel had no king, and they did whatever they wanted. And it wasn't pretty. Now, now we're going to look at that. And, and here, here's the first aspect, number one, right? And that During the time when the judges ruled, there was a tension. There was a tension that existed. So let, let's go back to the passage in Ruth, Ruth 1, and we're going to read 1 through 3, I think it is, 1 through 2, 1 and 2. Let's, I'm going to try to show this tension what was happening as, as, as the Israelites came into Canaan and as they existed there, but they kind of were in the promised land, but they didn't ha totally have it and they were disobedient and they didn't have God's full blessing. What did that tension look like? Ruth 1, 1 and 2. So during the time of the judges, we've kind of set that stage, right? There was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons. Now listen, Elimelech, his name means, my God is king. My God is king. It, it, this is, needs to resound for you and I. I want, I want that to be my new name. God, my God is king. During the time when the judges ruled and they had no king and they did whatever they wanted, Elimelech should be the guy that's like, yeah, my God is king. His name means my God is king. His wife Naomi, her name means sweet or pleasant, right? The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, which just kind of foreshadowing, they mean sick and weak. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. So there's a tension that exists, and I, I want us to get this. You see this time, the time of the judges rule, where, where they, they were in the land, but they were kind of not in the land because they didn't really take the whole land, and God was kind of blessing them, but couldn't really bless them because they weren't obedient. And, and there's a tension that exists because of the character and nature of God. If you don't fully know God and don't know His compassion and loving kindness, you can't really break that tension. And my hope is that we're going to identify that tension today, see where that tension leads, and then hope to resolve that tension with the cross of Christ, okay? So today, here's what we have. We have during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. So we're talking about a family who lives in Bethlehem. Does that sound familiar? A little town of Bethlehem, right? Jesus was born there. It's a pretty big thing, on, big deal in history, right? In the town of Bethlehem, in the word Bethlehem, the name of Bethlehem means house of bread. So in the house of bread, there was no bread. There was a famine in the land. Now understand, I told you earlier, God is wanting to discipline his children. This is likely, this famine is not likely just a drought. This is likely judgment. God's like, hey, wake up. I, I know you, there, there are those of you there that love me. Wake up. Make sure people are on board. Repent of your sin. Turn back to me. Let's, let's be the nation I called you to be. Let's be the people I've called you to be. So a famine is in the land. 
Now, now the responses to this could go all kinds of different ways. But it's, it's this, about this choice we have. You and I have this choice. And typically it's a choice between good and better or better and best. Like we, we can kind of figure out, you know, either of these doors are pretty good. Like what's God, which is the most wise, bestest choice for me to do? And I, I try to choose that. But this is a choice that Elimelech has. Elimelech, right? My God is king. He has this choice in his family to lead his family. And this choice is not good or better or what's the best decision. It is between right and wrong. God had already set the law out there. Do not move. Do not live in their, their cities. Do not go there and, and cohabitate. That's not where I want you to be. Don't do that. You are my people. And listen, you and I have those decisions. Like some of you have, have chose to move to Mount Shasta. Some of you are looking at maybe moving away. And you've got to make a choice based on what's best for your family, what you think feel God's calling you to, all of these decisions. Elimelech, the Israelites, were brought out of where? Egypt, and they were called to where? Israel, Canaan, in the land, the promised land. Elimelech has been called by God as God's people to settle there. Now not only is he breaking some rules in Deuteronomy saying, I'm going to move and live among the Moabites, he's also saying, God, your call doesn't mean anything to me. I, I don't care about being a part of the solution. I need to go and do what's best for me. That's, and that's the attitude he had. You and I have the same attitude. We can't, we can't like, mince words there, right? We, we do the same thing. That's the world today. But that was the world then, too. Nothing is new under the sun. It's continually perpetuated because of the heart. Gentlemen, Elimelech was the dad. He was the man of the house. He made the wrong decision. He didn't lead his family well. We don't know the story. We don't know what, what Naomi said to him. We don't know what the sons said. If they, they were probably a little younger at the point. But they, they, he led. He decided, you know what, family? Listen, here's the decision I'm going to make. I'm not going to be actively trying to repent and turn to God and restore fellowship and relationship with God and God's people to God and trust that God is going to provide. I know it's famine, but God still provides. That's not the conversation I want to have with you today. Today, I have a better solution. We're not going to wait for God. We are going to pack up and leave while things are good. And before they get real bad, we're going to pack up and leave. And I'm going to move you to that city over there. What, what city are we going to? Moab. What's Moab? Like, are my friends there? No, your friends are not there. There are no friends. There's no one there that believes in Yahweh. There's no one there that wants anything to do with our God. There's no one there that's going to encourage you in your faith and build you up and walk alongside you. There's no one there that's going to be anything about God. We're going to have to kind of figure that one out on our own. But there's food and money there. So let's go. He made the wrong choice. And later on, we find, and I'm going to say it later too, we, Naomi returns eventually because she loses her husband and her two sons. And when she, she returns, she makes a statement. And we'll see this later and explain it. But she says this. She says, I, I left Bethlehem. I left full. And I've returned and come back, what? Empty. Empty and bitter. Empty and bitter. I left full and sweet or pleasant, and I came back empty and bitter. Does that sound like a wise choice Elimelech made for his family? Like The indication was they had, they had what they needed. They were full. And they had each other, and they had the Lord, and they had their, their community. But that wasn't good enough because their pockets were starting to run empty. And their bellies were grumbling a little bit, so Elimelech said, we're moving. And it created either... Regular, or regular consequences to his actions, normal life consequences, or divine judgment upon him. And we'll see that. But there's a tension that was there. Because, and, and this tension goes deeper. I want to I look at this a little, little deeper. So the question is this. How do you get there? How do you get to that point and make those decisions? And what I would say is this. You and I set ourselves up as our own king. Right? Elimelech, my God is king, says... No, he's not. I am my king. I will make the decisions. And, and culturally speaking, and looking across, like, yeah, that's a good decision. You, you need to get out of there. Get to where some food is. We, we have people that come here, and they move or come to Mount Shasta because they want to worship the mountain, or they want to be with the spiritual gurus, and they're here with nothing. And there's barely any jobs here. They don't want to work. Well, how, how can I get help? How can I get food? Go somewhere else where you have, there's food banks. Go somewhere where there's shelters. Go somewhere where you can get on your feet. That's wise in our culture. But, but when you talk about God calling you somewhere and making a decision to leave that, you aren't saying, my God is king. You're saying, I'm king instead. 
Why? Because in the days when there, in, in these days there were no, was no king over Israel, everyone did what seemed right to him. So very often in our lives there are moments that matter, right? Defining moments in life where we get to direct our own, our own course for our own future. And it's right there on the table. And the problem is that we typically make our decisions based on what is more likely to provide us with comfort and security, right? That's what, comfort and security, that's what I want. I don't want fear. I, I don't want embarrassment. But like Elimelech, we tend to act as the sovereign, as the king over our own lives, making the choice that seems best to us without any reference or any inquiry to God. And God, what would you have me do? What lines up with your word? And so it's so amazing. Like We can ask so many questions that are answered with op- by opening this book. There's, when I was a kid, when I was a little kid in Sunday school, five years old, right? But my teacher had an acronym in this, well, for Bible. Remember what it was? Basic instructions before leaving earth. You want to know what you should do? Open the book. Oh, okay. And I've, I've held on to that. Because I have these weird, wacky moments and ideas in my mind sometimes, right? I'm like, what should I do? I don't know. This kind of sounds good. And I'm like, wait a minute. What does Scripture say about that? And it's just clear as day. I'm like, what was I thinking? I'm way out here in left field somewhere. Like, I've got to get back and grounded. But that's, we make these decisions based on like, our felt comfort or security. And I say felt comfort or security because sin always feels good when we start it. But we, and we, we, when we start it, we usually leave full and we come back what? Empty. Empty, scarred, hurt, beat up. We have to seriously think about our choices and the consequences and the spiritual implications that our choices will have on our families. Gentlemen, you and I have responsibilities to our wives and to our children to be good leaders, wise leaders, not saying, I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes, but God, what is right in your eyes and may we do that? And can I lead my family toward that and in that? That we'd be obedient and we would be full because we have him as our God, as our king. Let's look a little more at this tension. Turn to the book of Judges, right before Ruth. Keep your ribbon here. Remember, we're going to be back here. The book of Judges, chapter 2. I want to give you an overar- kind of this overarching thing again. I talked about it a little bit at the beginning as the opener. Judges, chapter 2. And we're going to go through several different verses in this chapter to get this glimpse uh, of what's happening here. And, and how this tension develops. So in Judges 2, verses 1 and 3, it says this, The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgah to Bochum and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you to the land that I had promised to your fathers. I also said, I will never break my covenant with you. So there's God's covenant, his first, I'm I'm promising. This is your land. I'm going to bring you here. This is my covenant. I love you. It's a loving covenant with you. Verse 2, You are not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You are to tear down their altars. So there's another type. You are to tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? God's like, I I brought you here. I love you. I brought you into the land, but why are you not obeying me? What have you done? Verse 3, therefore I now say. So he did say, he established a covenant, which is established to Abraham even farther back than that. And and now he says, I now say, I will not drive out these people before you. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a trap for you. There's a tension here, isn't there? God wanted his people to be in the land and to take the land and to remove everything else that were idols and people that would be against them and to have a nation. I'm going to bless you with that. I'm going to to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And they came into the land. They said, no, we're not going to do all that. Now God's like, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. I love you. I love you. I love you. He's like, why have you not obeyed me? I'm holy. Don't you fear me? And now since you haven't obeyed me, I'm going to let these people stay. I'm not going to drive them out. And their idols and their temptations are going to be a thorn in your flesh. They're going to be a thorn to you, and and they're they're going to be a distraction to you. And you're going to see just how far disobedience leads with a wandering heart. See, the friction arises when the Lord says, I've sworn to give you the whole land, but I've also got... See, here's, here's this friction. I've sworn to give you the land, but I've also sworn to not give it to disobedient people. So God's people have put him in an almost impossible situation. What am I going to do about these people? I promised them, but I also promised them this. It's like, what, do I, what happens here? So a friction develops. On one hand, God is demanding obedience because he is God. He's holy. He can demand obedience. That's on one hand, right? 
On the other hand, he makes promises, unconditional promises to God's people of commitment and loyalty to his people. What happens is that we tend to focus and they tend to focus more on one of these areas instead of harmonizing and reconciling both. Both of these promises are true, but look what happens, the tension that happens when we only focus on one. And we focus on one area, for instance, his unconditional loyalty. I am your God, I love you, you're my people. If we, if we do that and, and that's all we focus on, God is awesome, God is amazing, God's always for me, he's never against me, then we become complacent and we'll give in to sin more often. Well, if it's just about God's grace and it's all about God's grace, then we just sin all the more that grace might abound, right? Paul talked about that. We just give in to sin because God's kind of a passive God. He's so loving. It's just love, it's, it, a book was written, Love Wins. Doesn't matter what you do, love wins and everyone makes it because God just loves. Well, that's just focusing on one thing, isn't it? It's focusing on one side of God's covenant. And that's the wrong way to focus. And then if we focus on the other, the conditionality of God's blessings, then we might begin to live under the burden of guilt and fear. Right? That, that when we have to obey or else we're like, oh, is he going to smite me today? I don't want to be smitten. A storm's coming. I might be struck by lightning. And we constantly ask the question, am I doing enough? Am I, am I, am I righteous enough? And the answer is no. Oh, no. And when we focus on one or the other, it just it get, adds to tension. It adds to this tension. And if we don't have a proper understanding of both and how they harmonize together, then we tend to give in to our wickedness in our hearts and do whatever we want to do anyway. That we decide, you know what, I, God's going to love me and forgive me no matter what, or you know what, God's laws are way too hard. I, no one can live up to that. I'm just going to do whatever I want. And that's what you end up with. You end up with people who have no king and they do whatever is right in their own sight. That's what we have. Look at verse 7. Judges 2, 7. I want to, I want to show you the light bulb here. The, har, the harmonization of these two, two truths and promises. Verse 7 says, The people worshipped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime and during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua. They, look, this is it, they had seen all the Lord's great works, all the, all the Lord's great works he had done for Israel. Something resonated there. See, it wasn't just that, if you think of God as a cosmic cop, you're always going to be scared and looking over your shoulder. If you think of a, a, a God as a passive pushover, you're going to be like, I'll just do whatever I want. He ain't going to do anything. And think about parenting, right? You can't do, you can't, your parenting can't be all about control, but you can't do nothing as a parent. Because your kids are going to run amok and turn, up, turn out crazy. There's got to be some kind of influence they have. You have, as a parent, influence in your children's lives. Well, that's what God had with his people. He brought them out of the land of Egypt. And, and it, all these generations had seen the works and the wonderful, amazing things that God has done. And they, they knew him. See, knowing God harmonizes those positions of his grace and of his judgment. We know God and we see his loving kindness that wants to be spilled out. They had seen all the Lord's great works that he had done for Israel. That's why the people worshipped God throughout Joshua's lifetime. It doesn't say they kept the law faithfully and obediently and perfectly. It says the people worshipped God. They responded to God. They elevated him as king. Look at verse 10. This, this saga goes on. That whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. After them, another generation rose up who what? did not know, know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. The light bulb clicked off. The light bulb, the reality that says it can be grace and truth. Christ came full of grace and truth for us. And that we can, we can re resolve to know that God loves us and we're going we're gonna to turn our hearts and affections towards him and delight in him and he's going to be our redeemer. And, we, and, and in that time, they can look forward to the coming Messiah that would be the final payment, propitiation for sin on the cross. They looked forward to that. They knew that God was that. But then they turned that light bulb off. And now they don't know God or the works and, and, the, and the wonders. And, and they, don't know, they don't know Him as Redeemer. They don't know Him as Messiah. That light's turned off. And look what happened. Look at verse 16. The Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of marauders. But they did not listen to their judges. Instead, right, from their heart, a heart that says, I'm king, not you. Instead, they prostituted themselves with other gods, bowing down to them. 
They quickly turned from the way of their fathers who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. They did not do as their fathers did. No, we don't want that. So there's this above where they worship God and there's this idea of failure. We're going to fail. Any of you out here failures? I'm a failure, right? We're going to fail. We're going to fail God. But they're at the point now of betrayal, and that's different. They're like, we don't care about God at all. We, we desperately want to be king. It's not just that I, I had a, a lapse in judgment and I made a stupid decision because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Sorry, I'm sorry, God, I want to come back to you. That's a failure. We, we fail. This is a pattern, a habitual lifestyle these people said. It's like, I'm rejecting him as king. I'm my own king. We'll have a culture of Judaism. We'll have a culture of, of belief, but it doesn't really matter. We, we want to do what we want to do. So they no longer know the works of the Lord. His faithful, loving kindness is like a distant memory to them. So for you and I, we have to hold on. Hold on. Even in this tension, we have to hold on and say, you know what? God can harmonize. God can reconcile this tension in our lives with his loving kindness, with his grace that he pours out on us. But if it doesn't reconcile, where does it go? Well, in the time when the judges ruled, number two, chaos Do we trust ourselves? And they left. Bad idea. Verses 3 through 5. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. He died. Was it judgment? Was it, was it not? I, he doesn't say. We can apply a lot based on what we see in Judges and based on what we see on Israel. Naomi's husband died. And she was left with her two sons. You, know, you think of this part of the story. Oh, that's good. At least she has. Her two sons took Moabite women as their wives. rules, no, you do not marry people outside of the faith. You do not unequally yoke yourself with people who, who worship gods, who, who sacri- people sacrifice children to them. We don't, we don't marry into that. We have no business. Believers and unbelievers have no business being together. Their priorities are not the same. If you want to raise Jesus up and lift Jesus up and elevate Him as King in your life and you marry someone who doesn't, He will be usurped from the throne of your heart. I mean, God doesn't not love Moabites. He says we just shouldn't enter into that kind of arrangement with them. There's priorities, and that's true today for you and I. We, we aren't to be unequally yoked, Scripture says, with unbelievers. If you're not a believer, yoke with whoever you want to yoke with. But, but for, for believers, are we going to let him be king? Or will there be no king in Israel and we're, just going, to, we're going to do whatever we want? That's the challenge today. You see, this is why my heart grieves, because I see myself in this too. I can see how, how I failed God and how I've made myself king. And I don't want to go there. I don't want to be there. That tension hurts. And the tension here, so it says the, the second, uh, he took Moabite wives, right? They took Moabite wives. Wrong. Whether it was passed down wrong from dad or they just made the wrong decision, boys, and Naomi wasn't saying anything or, or they didn't care. I don't know what's happening in the family, but it's not very functional. One of them was named Orpah. The second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, what did it say? Both Malon and Kilion also died. I mean, their names were sick and weak already. We don't, I mean, maybe they were frail boys. I don't know. Or maybe it was God's judgment saying, this is not what I want. Don't you understand? Listen from this perspective from God. You lived in Bethlehem in the house of bread. You were full. You had everything you needed. And then you turned away from God. And you did what you wanted. So I brought a famine to kind of wake you up a little bit. Wake up. Hello. I'm God. You're, you're not listening. You're not r- responding to me. You're not living for me. There's a famine in the land. So instead of responding to discipline, what they do? They packed up and left to a place they shouldn't have left. And then what happened? Elimelech died. I mean, the, the hints are dropping. Like, come on, wake up. Turn back to me. Turn your heart back to me. Stop being your own king. So after Elimelech died, if Naomi would have been obedient, what would she have done? 
let's go, boys. We're going back home. She didn't do that. Her boys grew up, and they married two Moabite women. I'm sure they were fine ladies, and we see that Ruth, I mean, don't, don't discount this. And listen, this is where people come up, oh, missionary dating, it's really okay, because they'll get saved later, and they'll become, you know, an ancestor to Jesus. That's Ruth. Ruth is the Moabite women, woman that, that a, an Israelite should never have married. That, that travels eventually, sojourns back to Israel, back to Bethlehem. And, and her faithfulness and her faith, she turns to be a, a follower and believer of God, Yahweh. And God redeems her, and through, through a kinsman redeemer, we'll see later on. And, and in this line, the lineage of Jesus, guess who we have? One of the great, 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 great mamas of Jesus is Ruth. God can redeem any stupid choice we make. But when we're there and he's wanting to wake us up, he doesn't want us just to dive into that. Then we should have went home. She didn't. The boy's married and, and the boy died. And then we finally see what? Naomi's like, I'm out of here. I'm, I, and we see, what, what do we see in that scripture? Well, later on we'll see it, but she hears word that, that God's providing for her people. Yeah, that's what God does. When we, when we repent of our sin and come back to him, that blessing is ready. God has never left us and, and pushed us aside. He still desires to be glorified, though, and for us to reflect his glory and reflect who he is to the world. So there's some discipline there sometimes. There's judgment sometimes on us. Both divine and both earthly consequences happen. God desires us, though, to be found faithful or full it's going to be like. I'm, I am super spiritual. I love the idea of last night and said, that, yeah, that's, that's the world. That's how we live. And I said, no, stop. I had this revelation. That's not how it is anymore. Here's how it is. I am my king because there is no king over me. And I will do what's right in my eyes. And if you say it's wrong, you're wrong. You're wrong. Postmodernism would have taught early on, oh, tolerance, big time. Tolerance for whatever you, whatever you want. We'll go with the flow. No big deal. Today, if it's not what they seem as right, then you are absolutely wrong. And that happens with you and I as well. We have those attitudes as well. We have those attitudes that say, 
I'm doing what's right in my eyes, or I think what's, what I'm doing is right in my eyes, and you're wrong. And, and really, what God's looking for is, isn't there a people that wants to ask me what I think? You know, I want us to understand this. I, I have this hope and idea to, to do a series down the road, way down the road, called Messy Grace, because this gets really messy. When we talk about politics and political positions, we talk about political parties, we talk about things that are, that are deep, right? Deeply rooted in rights and, and equal rights and equal opportunity. Like all these things come up and it, it riles us up. And we take, here's the problem. With that, with those decisions, and with the decisions to, to be too lazy at home with, with your stewardship, or to spend money in a, in a way that's not the way we should spend money, or spend time in a way that's not the way we should spend time. We make those decisions, and they're right in our own eyes. Those little decisions, are this, they come from the same place those big decisions do. But in Judges, what we see in Judges happening is this. An individual sin becomes a community sin, becomes a tribal sin, becomes a national sin. And it ruins it all. And God's there like, what are you doing? What, what are you thinking? And the thought is this. There's no king. Someone had to be king. I'm it. I'll do what I want. I want you to turn to the book of Zephaniah. The little book of Minor Prophet. I mean, it's like you sneeze and you go buy it, right? <laughs> about four books from the end of the Old Testament. I had a rhythm there, so I'm, I'm lucky. Zephaniah. After Habakkuk, right? So Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. Then right before thing is Zechariah, right? So Zephaniah. Here, this is what God, this is what God is presenting. This is what God is showing. This is what God says to them. You know, can I, you know we talk about tolerance and we talk about what's right and wrong, and there are there are things that are right and wrong. And, but there's this huge, deep, loving kindness of God pursuing us to draw us closer to Him, so that we could bow our hearts and say, God, your King and your right. the names of the pagan priests along with the priests, those who bow down and worship on the rooftops to stars in the sky, those who bow and pledge loyalty to the Lord, but also pledge loyalty to Milcom. And I will turn against those who turn back from following the Lord and do not seek the Lord and or inquire of Him. I, I, I just resonated. The last part of that verse, verse 6. Those who do not seek the Lord or inquire Ask me what I thought. I want to be found faithful. I want to be found obedient. I want to be found in a position. God, I don't have a clue what's going on. What do you think is right? What should I do? What position should I take? What political party should I do? When I go in to vote, what should I do? God, you tell me what I should do. You tell me what's right. I won't let my past, whether it be sin or, or my past influence from people, I won't let my current political affiliations or, or sways, I won't let any of that dictate anything, God. I want you to be king. I want to inquire of you and ask you, God, what do you want from me? Because I want to be faithful to you because, God, you're my king. You're my all in all. That's what I want. That's what I want, and I want you to want that. I want us all as a body of Christ, as the family of God, to want to be under his lordship. You know, it's, it's weird. Like I, I, My title is the senior pastor. I'm the only pastor, right? We have some staff. Right? But in church, it's, but, but you know, he, and I, I, I balk at that. I bucked at that when, in the committees and stuff. And I, I'm just pastor, Pastor Brandon. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an elder. I'm a shepherd. 
Because Scripture tells us there is a senior pastor and his name is Jesus Christ. That he is the chief shepherd. That we would all bow and ask God, Jesus, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? What is right in your eyes? Because I don't want chaos to ensue. I don't want my heart to be in chaos. I don't want my heart to be grounded in you. So we see this chaos has come to fruition. And there's tons of unfaithfulness in the world. But here's the point number three. And this is like, I hope this is the happy part of the sermon. I told you this was a tough one for me. I told you this was tough. I knew this was going to be hard. We, we went 15 minutes late into Sunday school for service. It was, this is tough. It's tough to go home and look in the mirror and say, if I'm wrong, would I want to know? Yeah, I would. I, I want what's right. I want what God says is right. So while there's chaos and unfaithfulness all around in the world and the temptation is there, Jesus. Amen? I'm so glad that there was a remnant that remained. So keep your finger in Zephaniah. We're turning back to Ruth to the last part of the verse. A faithful remnant remained. So Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing food. In God's loving
even if I feel alone. Just encouragement. I don't feel alone in that. I love you. For the most part, we're trying to do that. You can always do better. But I want to be faithful. I want to stay faithful. Sometimes it may feel alone. I want to, we're done in Zephaniah, but I want to give you a, a picture, and you can read this later in, in 1 Kings 18 and 19. I'm going to read verses 4 and after that too. We have this, this showdown. alone, who feels like I'm the only one listening. God's speaking to me, and I have to go to these, these wanderers, these crazy people, and say, you're all wrong, your God is false, and, and he's there to provide judgment and, and, and tell them that they're, they're being judged. Actually, the judgment God offered was, there's going to be a drought, there's no more rain, no more rain, it's done. And this was for years, this took place for years, this drought. And finally, there was a showdown, like, we're going to have a showdown on Mount Carmel. You bring all of, all of the priests to Baal, all, all of the prophets to Baal, 450 of them, you bring them all up there, you bring all your people Yahweh versus Baal. On the top of the mountain. Let's check it out. And they put, they made two altars, they put a cow on there, and the, the meat up there, the wood, and, and actually, uh, Elijah had his all soaked in water, right? Because the, the thing was, whichever God strikes it and burns it first, wins. So Elijah's like, hey, go ahead. He, he's, he's still alone. I'm the only one. Go ahead. All of you are bound to Baal. Again, going back to, to uh, Milcom and Baal and these other gods, like, child sacrifice to these gods in the name of I'll do whatever my eyes want to do. I'll do whatever I want what's right in my eyes. Really? That's what you chose? From being in a land full of milk and honey and loving your family and loving God, you chose to go sacrifice babies? And that's the spiral. When does that spiral end? It doesn't until Jesus Christ returns. And it's, it's more and more despair. The world's getting sicker and sicker. We can't follow that. Let's have a showdown. So he's up on top of the mountain. You go first. Elijah said, you guys go first. So they start doing their chants and their dances and walks and crawls and prayers, and they want Baal to respond, and Baal's not responding. So Elijah mocks him. He's like, well, maybe your God's on a holiday right now. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's asleep and he can't hear you. Why don't you speak up? So they start speaking louder. They're cutting themselves, trying to... To, dr- to let blood go out so that God will take, take notice. Their God will take notice. Again, that spiral, that's where it takes you? I don't want to go there. And usually that spiral starts by saying, I want to do what's right in my eyes. It feels comfortable. It looks good. But although it looks good and we might leave full, what are we going to do? We're going to come back what? Empty. The blood's out of my arms. I'm dead. I just cut myself because of Baal. He's not real. Well, he's a real demon, but he's not a God. Nothing happens. He's like, uh, God, let's just prove you're the one real God. Let's, let's do it. Let's, ha- let's make this happen. Sure enough, burns it up, done. God's God. Yahweh wins. Yahweh wins the showdown. And he's feeling alone in this, right? He's, he's the one faithful. He's like, what, what is this? Is this all for naught? But here's what happened. The God, Baal, God, um, he was a God of fertility and a God of, of storms, water. He was the one who made it rain. That's what they thought. So this drought was happening, and God was pronouncing judgment because, because who's really in charge of rain? Yahweh God is in charge of rain, not Baal. So the showdown occurs, and, and, and when it's all over and said and done, the dust kind of finally clears, you hear the rumble of a storm. And actually, the verse, I want to read that to you from Kings and, uh, 1 Kings 18. In a little while after this showdown, the sky grew dark with clouds and wind, and there was a downpour. What did it say? God, in His loving kindness, Yahweh God, in His loving kindness for, for people, Proved his supremacy over every other God and proved his, his loving kindness by saying, I will make it rain, but I'm still God. you got to remember, I'm still God. So, so he kind of has this pity party. Elijah's like, am I the only one? Am I the only one that's left here? And, and later on, it, it, we see it in, in Romans in a minute, but God says, no, I've left 7,000 people for myself who have not bowed down to Baal. They are going to be this remnant. I'm going to do something through them. It's not all for naught. So when we think we're all alone, we think we're the only ones making decisions. And listen, I, I see teenagers here. I, I know what it was like to be in, in high school and be someone with what you call the Elijah complex, right? That's, I felt like I was all alone, and there were people surrounding me, but I felt like I was doing it all by myself. I had, I, and mostly it was because I had a lot of friends 
that were Moabites. Like, I'm all alone, God. But was it all for naught? No, it wasn't all for naught. The relationship started there. The growth that I had and, and where he's brought me today, it was not all for naught. Being a faithful remnant is not a bad thing. Last, last passage. Turn to Romans chapter 11 with me. <clears throat> Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Romans chapter 11. for myself who have not bowed down to Baal. In verse 5, this is, a, this is for us today. I need you to hear this. In the same way then, right? Same way. Today, here's today. Same way then, there is also at the present time a readiness, a saving readiness. God's grace is still being provided today. That God's loving kindness is still being provided today. And, and this, this brings us circle. And, and let me give you a little more in, insight for this remnant. You think about Jesus gathered on the hill on the mount, on the Sermon on the Mount. He's gathered thousands of people around him. Thousands of people say, yeah, I want, I want what he's talking because these other guys are lording it over us. And he has thousands. And then, and then you come a little further down in Jesus' ministry. He's like, you know, unless you eat of my blood and drink of my, or eat, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. They're like, huh? We're out of here. Like a lot of people are like, we're gone. This is kind of wacko now, and now we're leaving. Let's go back and let's have some fun. So they kind of dwindle down. And then you have in the book of Acts, you have the, the believers gathered together waiting for the Holy Spirit to descend and come up, come up Pentecost. And you have 120 believers, it says numbered, gathered together in the upper room waiting for this to happen. And there are probably more believers, but you've gone from thousands of people who are interested in saying, I, yeah, what? Then, then many who just betray it, like I'm not even going there. But then you have a remnant that's faithful. And last week we talked about the sermon of the parable of the vineyard owner. Right? And, and talked about the, the tenants, right? The tenants were the Pharisees, the, the, the leaders that God had entrusted to lead Israel in the right direction. And what I said last week is that God was going to remove them, right? And replace them with good leaders, leaders that would shepherd his people. Guess what that remnant upstairs was? The early church and its leaders. And guess what the fruit of that is today? A billion believers on planet Earth. Underground churches in China in, in 2019 being persecuted because of that. It's still true today. God's grace continues to provide. For, for, for them, it was looking forward to the cross. He's going to provide this redemption. For us, we look back to the cross and we come full circle. And we should be experiencing this tension again. Okay, how do I get over my own will? How do I, how do I obey, but how do I, how do I get around this? We should ask ourselves, how, how is this tension resolved? Well, it's only on the cross that we can understand how God is able to resolve this tension. Tim Keller, a great author and pastor, he wrote this. He says, On the cross, our sin was given or imputed to Jesus so that his righteousness could be imputed to us. On the cross, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, God poured out his wrath on his people in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He satisfied both justice Remember, here's the two promises we have. Like, I'm God, I'm holy, you you better take me seriously. The cosmic cop side. And the other side was that passive one. Like, I, I love you, I love you, I love you. So he satisfied both justice because sin was punished. And he satisfied loving faithfulness since he's now able to accept and forgive. Isn't that amazing? He goes on, he says, without the gospel of Christ crucified, 
and risen, we will, we will always either, we will always either, without this gospel that binds it together in, in unity and harmonizes it for us, that we could truly know God and Christ would be no, not only known to us, but he would know us and live in us. We will either complacently give in to sin or we'll live under the burden of guilt and fear. The cross is where we find freedom and resolution. He goes on, he says, then we are able to live forgiven and obedient lives. The cross is the place where we find the freedom to accept ourselves without being proud, like I'm going to do whatever I want, and and a challenge for ourselves without being crushed by the weight of those laws. God says, I want, I want you to be free of that burden. And, and here's, here's the pressure. We, we want to, I, I need to suffer. I need to struggle. I need, to, I, I need to, to like like put the cross on my back. Listen, you don't need to die. You don't need to be crushed. Jesus already was. And that resolves that tension. Thank you, Jesus. But now, that, now it is this. I will always want to bow my heart to Him. That's where we're left. And that renewal, that change in us, happens when we are under the right king, the right master, the right ruler. But slavery and sin and this weird spiral occurs when we are under the wrong king, the wrong master. I want us to be found as a people that are faithful, a faithful remnant, longing to do what's right in God's eyes and not our own. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Father, that, uh, wow, that was a lot. God, I, I just pray that you would impart your wisdom and grace upon our heart. That you would help us to see that you are a loving, almighty king that is ready to provide for his people. But God, you're calling us to be your people. To set ourselves apart in the ways we obey and that we would obey you and that you would be our king. You wouldn't just be a loving, gracious God that gives us whatever we want. That's a bad parent. But God, you would be the king of our hearts. God, as we continue to look at Ruth in the coming weeks, I just pray that you would give us this, this beautiful picture of your loving kindness, this love of God, this grace of God, this redemption of God, the provision of God, that you'd help us to see the ways you're doing that now in our lives you're loving us through our mess, through our sin, through our our hang-ups, through our scars. You're wanting us to be made whole. And you made a way by paying the price on the cross, so we thank you for that. Resolve that tension in our hearts today, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to respond. I think it's